Welcome to another inspirational message from Elam Church, Christchurch City. For more information and great content, jump over to our website at elamchurchchristchurchcity.org. We hope you enjoy this message. This morning I, I, I want to come and just uh, bring a message for you guys that's uh, in line with this series that uh, we've been rolling out across our campuses over these past four weeks called Comeback Stories. And so um, we've been exploring this theme of, of comeback as it appears in different shapes and forms in Scripture. And, and our prayer and our heart through it all has been really believing that in amongst it, God will be active by His Spirit to encourage us and equip us with a fresh clarity of knowing who God is at the outset of 2022. If the, any, if the past couple of years are anything to go by, we can know that this year will throw some curveballs our way, that as much as we have our plans and our purposes, some things will happen that we just don't expect or foresee. Before we hit those times, it's so important that we know the truth of who God is, that we are established in the truth of His goodness, His love, and His power, and in our understanding that no matter what setbacks we may face, God is able to lead us into an incredible comeback so that He would be glorified through us and through our circumstances. See, it's, it's incredible and so powerful to remember that no matter what circumstances we may face, no matter how we may stuff up or get it wrong ourselves, in God, there is a comeback. God, by His very nature, is redemptive. That means that He turns situations around that seem dead and buried and lost and gone, and He can bring beauty for ashes and joy instead of mourning. It's who God is. So it's not just an exercise in wishful thinking. It's, it's really digging down deep into the truth of God's very nature and character and saying, Lord, may we know what it is to live from that incredible truth. And so this morning, I, I just want to focus in with you all on, on one really beautiful way that we see in the Old Testament, this idea that God can powerfully use our trials our hardships or our setbacks for our good and for the benefit of other people. Uh, just before we plow into a few scriptures for this morning, a bit of context, we're, we're way back in the book of Exodus this morning. So what's happened is that God's people were slaves in the nation of, Israel, of Egypt sorry, for 430 years. They cried out to God for a deliverer, and God raised up the man by the name of Moses, who was the man who with his bro Aaron and his sister Miriam, they were spearheading this incredible deliverance. They, the Red Sea was parted, Pharaoh's army were destroyed, God miraculously delivered his people, which was amazing in itself. And we kind of pick up the story at this point where now Moses and the Israelites, they've come out of the place of captivity, but they are wandering around in the wilderness, still looking ahead to when God might fulfill the promise that he had given to the generations that preceded them, to Abraham, to Isaac and Jacob. God had said, I will bless you and all nations on earth will be blessed through you and I will give you this land as your own possession. When we're reading about this awesome deliverance from, from Egypt, there's still this question in our mind, well, this is fantastic, but what about that promise, God? When will you lead your people into a land that they can truly call their own? So there's still this, this expectation that there is a yet a further work that God has yet to accomplish for his people. God miraculously provides water and food for his people as they're in that dry and arid wilderness. And eventually they reach Mount Sinai, which would be the place where God would outline for his people the covenant regulations 
most famously exemplified in what we know as the Ten Commandments. It was God saying to his people, as you reflect on what I have done for you in delivering you from captivity, and as your hearts are to serve me, let me now bring clarity to you about what it looks like to live your lives to honor me and so that the surrounding nations might see something of who I am through you. And in amongst all those wonderful laws and covenant regulations, yeah, it's hard going. I'm in my Bible in a year reading plan at the moment. Just finished Leviticus. Praise God. Oh, but in amongst all this, God outlined some very specific plans for the building of what was known as the tabernacle. It was essentially a big tent that was to be the focal point of their worship of God as they continued to journey through the wilderness. And now God didn't just say to them, whip up any old thing that you like, like any old tent from warehouse will do, just, you know, they're on special this week, go down and grab one and chuck it up in the middle there and let that be the focal point of my worship. No, no, no. God was very specific in the dimensions, the types of materials that were to be used, the color scheme, the clothes that the priests were to wear, even to the point of prescribing the underwear that was acceptable. It's true, it's all in there, and the answer is linen underwear. It's biblical. Here are some wonderful references. Exodus 26, verse 1, God says, Make the tabernacle with ten curtains of finely twisted linen and blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, with cherubim woven into them by a skilled worker. Further on in chapter 26, in verse 36, it says that for the entrance to the tent, make a curtain of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, finely twisted linen, the work of an embroiderer. Make gold hooks for this curtain, five posts of acacia wood overlaid with gold and cast five bronze bases for them. Are you encouraged by the word of God this morning? I'm going somewhere with this. Hang on in there. Exodus 28, God said, make sacred garments for your brother Aaron to give him dignity and honor. Tell all the skilled workers to whom I've given wisdom in such matters that they are to make garments for Aaron for his consecration so he may serve me as priest. These are the garments they are to make, a breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a woven tunic, a turban, and a sash. They are to make these sacred garments for your brother Aaron and his sons, so they may serve me as priests. Have them use gold, blue, purple, scarlet yarn. You're getting a sense of the color scheme? Yeah. One final reference. Further on from chapter 28, God said, Take two onyx stones. And engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel in the order of their birth. Six names on one stone and the remaining six on the other. Engrave the names of the sons of Israel on the two stones the way a gem cutter engraves a seal. Then mount the stones in gold filigree settings and fasten them on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as memorial stones for the sons of Israel. There's some really specific instructions being given here. And I don't know about you, but when I read these instructions that God gave for the construction of the tabernacle and all these tools and this furniture and these clothing items, I just can't help but think that if I was given the task of constructing these things, even with those very clear instructions, the result would be horrendous. I don't know if you've ever seen online baking fails. It's where someone will post a a photo of some glorious baking masterpiece, like a cake that just looks incredible. And then some hack amateur at home will think, that looks easy, I could recreate that. And it's an absolute monstrosity. And then they're often posted together, these images with words like, nailed it underneath it. Yeah. 
See, having instructions is one thing, but actually having the skills required to fulfill those instructions is another thing altogether. See, I I, uh, unashamedly confess to you this morning that I come from a long line of really hopeless, handy men. The Godsa family, we have a proud reputation to uphold of being incredibly inept when it comes to making stuff. Like, we're, we're horrendous, seriously. I try, but it's not good. And my, um, my dad and I were talking about this over the Christmas holidays, and we were talking about various things that we've tried to accomplish around our homes. Like, seriously, little things. I'm not even going to tell you what they are, because you'll just think less of me. You think, what, you can't hang a picture straight? What's wrong with you? Well, things like that. And my dad and I were talking about this, and my lovely wife, Bron, and my stepmom, they were kind of listening, but off in the corner, nodding their heads knowingly. <laughs> remembering how many times they've had to pay a tradie to come in and fix what we've tried to do and all those kind of things. But my dad told me about my great uncle Jack, who I like to think of as the pinnacle of handymanship within my family line. My great uncle Jack was a visionary. I absolutely believe that, but questionable skills as well. See, he once designed, and I say designed in the loosest sense of the term, and he once built, again, in the loosest sense of the term, he built a revolutionary tabletop to make it easier for him to clean up after dinner time with the kids. And this was back um, in, in the 50s, I think it was. And he had this decent-sized bit of timber that he thought, that'll be a great tabletop. And then what he did is that he proceeded to carve out bowl shapes into the tabletop at the place where each of the children sat at the table carved them out. It must have taken him hours. He's, he, he was a man of vision and he was following it through. And then what he would do every dinner time is that he would line those with baking paper and then dish up dinner. The kids would eat what they wanted. And then instead of having to do the dishes, all you have to do, screw up the baking paper and throw it away. Why is this not caught on? Isn't it a brilliant plan? No, it's not. <laughs> So that's as good as it's ever got for the gods of family blokes and handyman stuff. Seriously, I aspire to that level of expertise. Having instructions is one thing. Having the skills to pull them off is another thing altogether. Now, let's just go back and have a look at those references from Exodus. And there's something I want you to see here this morning. See, in Exodus 26, verse 1, where it says, Make the tabernacle with ten curtains and all this. There's a key phrase there at the end. It's to be done by not a godsif but by a skilled worker. Similarly, in the next reference, further in chapter 26, for the entrance to the tent, make this curtain. It's it's the work of an embroiderer, not a godsif. Similarly, when the instructions come for the sacred garments, tell the skilled workers to whom I've given wisdom in such matters that that this is how they are to make the the garments. Not a godsif. And lastly, again, the two onyx stones that you engrave on them and all this, the way a gem cutter engraves a seal. The the implication is that there were people with these skills within the community of God's people wandering around in the desert and they were the ones to fulfill these important roles and responsibilities. God didn't expect anyone like a Godsif to put their hand to the whatever you need in terms of tools. I don't even know the names of tools to make things. It's that bad. (laughs) 
But the idea is that the instructions were given to the skilled workers, the embroiderers, the gem cutters, the carpenters, the engineers, the metal workers, the goldsmiths, the weavers, skilled workers, both men and women were involved in the construction of this tabernacle. Now again, here's what I want you to see, that in this community of people who had just escaped slavery for generations in Egypt, there were all these different types of people with all these different skills. And where did they pick up those skills? Because see, by this time, it's only a month or so after they've left Egypt. So is it the case that once they left Egypt and they're wandering around in the desert, they've got a bit of time around the campfire in the evening and you think, wow, now I've got all this time on my hands. I've always really wanted to learn embroidery. Or I've always had this passion for being a gem carver. So now I've got a bit of time. Do you think we can kind of learn that? I don't think that's what happened. In the community of people who had escaped slavery were already people who had these skills in their toolkit. And the place where they learnt the skills was Egypt. The place where they learnt the skills was the place of their captivity and suffering for generation upon generation. The place of their learning and preparation for what God always had a plan to lead them into was the place of their hardship and setback. They learnt new skills in their place of setback And what I want to remind you of this morning is that we likewise, we learn skills and we learn lessons that are an incredibly important part of what God always has in mind to lead us into. And we only learn them, not through the rosy times and the wonderful times, we learn them through the times of setback and trial and hardship and suffering. Does God delight in seeing us go through those times? No, He doesn't. But He knows far better than we do that there are some lessons and skills that we can only learn through walking through those valleys. There's some lessons and skills we can only learn through going through the fire of adversity. See, in amongst all these instructions for the tabernacle and the clothes and what have you, the the Hebrew language is really struggling to explain it all. And what they have to do at multiple times is actually use Egyptian loan words, so words from the Egyptian language, to describe these bits of furniture and things because they didn't have any words in their own Hebrew language. So again, that shows that God was saying, hey, you know how back in Egypt, like your family have been like carpenters for generations and you've learned how to build this thing. Now I need one for my glory. God has an amazing way of redeeming our suffering and weaving it into the plan that he's always had for us. You just never know how aspects of your current reality or of your past might end up being a very, very important part of God's plan for your life. See, I think back back when I was at high school, many, many moons ago, I I studied Japanese language for three years. I know Zion's, you're doing a bit of Japanese, hey? Yeah, my brother. Oh, hell, because I must. And and back when I was at high school learning Japanese, I really enjoyed it, but I never went to Japan. And I didn't continue it on past school cert level. That's year 11. Yeah, yeah. It was fifth form when I was around, yeah, yeah. I didn't continue it on past that because I didn't actually consider it that useful. And so instead, I chose subjects that were going to be far more useful for my future, things like physics and calculus and biology. (laughs) Useful things, nothing against the sciences or maths. I really enjoyed them too. But it turns out 
that the subject I discontinued because I questioned its usefulness for my future became far more useful, I would suggest, than physics, calculus, and biology ever had. Interesting, eh? See, when we moved to Japan at the start of 2018 to help some of our friends plan a new church, it really helped that I wasn't starting from absolute scratch with, with learning the language. It, it, it blew my mind, actually, that although by that time it had been 22 years since I'd finished learning the language formally, it was still lodged in there. And there were words and there were phrases and there was just a rudimentary understanding of the language that, that God used it in an incredible and unexpected way. It blows me away that 22 years ago when I was learning a little bit of Japanese, I wasn't a Christian back then. I had no idea why I was even doing it. I certainly didn't have any idea of how it was going to weave into the plan that God might have for our lives in the future. Isn't God amazing? The way that he can take things that just seem so random from our background, or he can take things as well that were so painful from our backstory, things that we look back on and go, man, what was, God, seriously, what was the use of that? Why did I have to walk through that? Like, why did I have to like, endure that horrible work environment for years and years and years? Why did I have to walk through all those struggles with my kids, God? Why, God? Why and what good could possibly come from all that? Oftentimes, if we had our way, we'd be able to go back in time and, and sort of delete some chapters in our story. I, I don't know if that's just me. But I think we have things we look back on and go, do you know what? It was either so painful or it just seemed so useless that if I could just erase it, because it doesn't seem to have any usefulness to where God is taking me in the future. We struggle to see the value of certain seasons in our lives. But what I want to remind you of this morning is that there is a comeback in God from every setback that you would ever walk through in your life. We learn new skills and lessons in the setbacks and God is not making up the plan as he goes along. He's always had the plan for the comeback and what that would look like and how what you now carry because of what you've walked through is going to be a blessing to other people as well. See, the things that the people were forced to do as slaves in Egypt, the skills that they probably had no choice about mastering in Egypt, the various practical tasks that they had to carry out for the glory of Pharaoh or for the glory of the Egyptian gods, these were the skills that God employed for his glory in the construction of this tabernacle and everything else that went along with it. God had a plan all along. And God has always had a plan for each one of our lives too. See, central to our faith as followers of Jesus is the victory that Jesus won through his death on the cross. Like that's quite a big deal. In Colossians 2, it says this, it says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Hallelujah. Jesus triumphed by the cross. See, we can become so familiar with that idea that it loses some of its power and some of the scandal. Like back in the first century Roman Empire, if you were to suggest to someone that a glorious triumph would be made possible through dying on a cross, 
they'd write you off as crazy. See, Jesus died the death of a condemned criminal, humiliated, scorned, and ridiculed. It all seemed nothing more than, than an episode of humanity's brutality at its absolute worst. Like what good could possibly come from that? The Romans had perfected crucifixion as a means of not just killing someone, but as a means of stringing someone up in the most shameful position possible as a deterrent to anyone else who would consider standing against the power of Rome. It was about shame as much as it was about pain. But from the shame and the pain that Jesus went through, his triumph was put in place. The victory of God was won through what appeared to be the most unlikely of means in the first century AD. The instrument of torture and brutality became the tool that God used for pouring out blessing on everyone who would believe in what Jesus has done on their behalf. So again, I mention that because central to our faith is this idea that God's purposes are accomplished through unlikely means. Our faith enables us to view our past setbacks and our trauma and our pain from a perspective that doesn't just airbrush away the pain or pretend that it never happened, but genuinely recognizes that in God, there is value for everything that we walk through. There is value from everything that we walk through. And this is why last scripture for this morning in James chapter one, these are well-known words. James says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. See, as we go through trials of not just one kind, but many kinds, we can know that God is actually carrying out a productive work in us. God is producing something new in us. Does that make it easy to go through our trials? Of course it doesn't. It's still hard, otherwise there wouldn't be a trial. It'd be easy. But it means that we can know that there is a purpose and a plan in God when all that it looks like to us in the natural is just horrible and pain and suffering and hardship, our faith gives us a new perspective to know and trust that God has something greater in mind. Even when we don't understand what that could possibly be, it's our faith in the truth of who God is that enables us to go, God, I don't know what you're doing and I don't know why I've got to walk through this, but God, I trust in you and I'm not going to walk away. I'm not going to doubt your goodness because I just know that I know that I know that somehow, God, through these trials, you are producing something in me. You are adding something to my tool belt that is going to be useful for me and a blessing to others in the future. So we hold on in faith, trusting in the goodness of God. We learn lessons in our setbacks and pain, but we also learn new skills in the midst of those hard times. So can I remind you in Jesus' name this morning that God has been preparing you and is still in the process of preparing you in ways you cannot comprehend for things yet to come that surpass your expectations. That is a profound and powerful truth that my prayer is that would, that would just be lodged in your heart and in whatever you face in 2022, you would know, God, somehow you're gonna bring good out of this. Somehow there's gonna be blessing that flows from this God. And so I hang on to you in Jesus' name. 
This has been another great message from Elam Church, Christchurch City. For more content and updates, come see us on our Facebook page or jump over to our website. Thanks so much for listening.